A man can live without Jesus Christ. But he better not die without him. That makes sense, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, the most important issue that man, that you, will ever need to settle in your entire life, and when I say this, I'm saying nothing else even comes close to settling this issue. And that issue is, what will you do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Matter of fact, where you spend eternity matters. Where you spend eternity is based on will you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you accept his offer of eternal life by his grace, trust, and believe on him? Or will you reject it? Will you reject it? There's not a person that's in heaven right now that regrets trusting Christ as their Savior. There's not a person in heaven right now who is not rejoicing over their decision to trust Christ. And there's not a person in hell who does not regret not putting their faith and trust in Christ and knowing that eternity is ahead of them. And there's no hope. There's no chance of ever making it right because they rejected that offer of God's redeeming grace, that salvation, that eternal life. See, the point is, everyone's going to live forever. You realize that? Everyone's going to live forever. But you know, just like in real estate, they say location, location, location. Well, that, that applies here. Location, location, location. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, let me encourage you to do that. And we're going to tell you how to do that. And the reason that I'm starting out with this invitation, the reason I'm opening the sermon this way is because we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper or communion here in just a few moments. And here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, we believe in open communion. If you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you're invited to partake with us. You don't have to be a, a part of this church. If you are part of the church, the body of Christ, then we encourage you to participate in this memorial service because that's what it is. What, the, what observing the Lord's Supper does is it reminds us of what Christ went through on Calvary for our sins. And what it also does is it demonstrates the unity of the body of Christ. When we look at 1 Corinthians 11 here in just a few minutes, those are the two things that we're going to point out and show from Scripture that the reason we observe the Lord's Supper is to show the unity of the body, that's us, and to remember what Christ did on our behalf as he hung on Calvary's cross.
So I want to start out with the invitation. So even before we get there, you, you say, well, but aren't there things I need to know before, uh, before I partake? Well, yes, you need to know the Lord. And you, you need to know that God's will is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You need to know that, that God loves you and he died for you in order that he could have a relationship with you and you with him. As Denny mentioned a while ago, so that we can be reconnected, reconciled with our holy and righteous God. Christ died for our sins. And the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ, the moment you believe that he died for you, that he was buried for you, that he rose again for you, in other words, you believe the gospel, God makes you a new creation. There's not a catechism. There's not a confirmation class. There's just a regeneration. And God does that on our behalf. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to work for it. You certainly can't purchase it. So what we do is we trust Christ. We believe on Him. And the moment a person believes in Jesus Christ, the moment a person, and, and that's what Paul told the Philippian jailer. Remember when the Philippian jailer came running in there at the jail and, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What did Paul say to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Didn't say anything about you need to run down and do this, or you need to do that. It's by faith, trust in the complete and finished work of Christ. I always refer to it as the Lord's Supper. Some people refer to it as communion. Turn with me to 1 first, first Corinthians. 1 first Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the word communion there literally is fellowship. Fellowship. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the fellowship of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the fellowship or the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. God's word is very clear that in Adam we all die, but in Christ we're all made alive. And what happens the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, you go from being in Adam, the old man, in the Garden of Eden that rebelled against God and by this one man's sin entered, you go from being related to him to being placed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, which the Scripture calls him the last Adam. So you go from being in the first Adam to being in the last Adam, sealed until the day of redemption in Christ.
Christ. We fellowship in that position. We fellowship in that truth. So this morning we're going to be looking at some of those scriptures concerning you know, the Lord's Supper and why we, why we observe it. I, really, I, I appreciate it when the time comes for us to, to observe the Lord's Supper because it gives me an opportunity to share some of the important truths with you. With you. Truths, unfortunately, that are missed entirely by some assemblies. Regrettably. Some truths that they miss completely or they miss purposely because they want to ignore the truth. See, what we emphasize is the complete and finished work of Christ, that we are complete in Him, and that as we, as we observe this, we are emphasizing what Christ did, not what so many churches, so many denominations insist on you must do in order to be saved or you must do in order to appease God, what we preach, what we proclaim, is that God the Father is already satisfied with the complete and finished work of God the Son. That's why we worship Him. That's why we stress Him. The truth that we emphasize is the work of Christ not the works of man. Because the works of man, they fall short, right? Don't they fall? I know mine do. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, I've got to tell you, so many churches teach that the Lord's Supper will cause, by observing the Lord's Supper, it will cause God to love you more. And there couldn't be anything further from the truth. Because God already loves you with a perfect love in Christ. There's absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. He already loves you with a perfect love. Some people say that when you observe the Lord's Supper, why, you are going to gain favor with God. You can't gain any more favor with God than what you already have in Christ. Isn't that a glorious salvation? Isn't that a wonderful plan of salvation that God the Father recognizes the complete and finished work of God the Son on Calvary's cross as payment in full for our sin? What a Savior. What a plan of salvation. There are a lot of people that teach that when you observe the Lord's Supper, when you do this work, that you are somehow appeasing God's wrath. What we teach and preach and what the Scripture teaches is it was the sinless, perfect Lamb of God that took upon Himself our sin, and that, and that alone, appeases the righteousness of God, and completely satisfies the righteousness of God. Aren't you glad there's nothing you have to do but believe by faith, saying, Lord, I, I believe you did that for me. 
What a wonderful Savior we have. Matter of fact, Colossians 2.10. Look at Colossians 2.10. Pretty much sums it up in just one little short verse. Colossians 2.10. And you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. The full ramification of that scripture just goes beyond any thing I can fully comprehend. We are complete in Him. To be complete means there's nothing lacking. There's nothing we can add to that salvation we have in Christ. There's nothing we can add to make us any more saved or any more righteous than what we already are in Christ. Christ became sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Out of Him, there's no righteousness. There's none that doeth good. There's none that are righteous. In Christ, we stand in His righteousness. And what does that tell us? That tells us that man never came up with that plan of salvation. Because had man come up with it, number one, we'd call it religion. And what we have in Christ is not a religion, folks. It is a re- it's, it's a redemption. It is a reconciliation. It is a reconnection. It is a relationship with the God of all creation because He desires it and He took upon, it him, he took upon Himself to make sure that we would be reconnected through the death of God the Son. What a plan of salvation. See, the world and religionists, they emphasize what man does, observing the Lord's Supper or whatever, not what God has done on man's behalf. We desire to emphasize the works of Christ, not the works of man. What I want to make sure we understand as we observe the Lord's Supper is we observe it not because we're saying, hey God, look at me, look what I'm doing. God, look at me, does this make, does this make me any more righteous? Does, you see what I'm doing, Lord? Hey, Lord, I'm in church today. Don't that make you happy with me? Well, yeah, God does want you in church. So does your pastor. Your pastor really loves to see you in church. But what satisfies God is what Christ did on Calvary's cross. That assurance you have that it's... It's not a ritual that we observe that causes God to go, boy, i got, I got to tell you, I like those people. Look, they're, they're observing this. That, that does not make God any happier with you. Are you happy now, God? Look what I've done. What glorifies God? What causes the angels to rejoice? It's when a lost sinner comes to the point in their life they they realize they need a Savior. 
and by faith they believe in Christ Jesus. That's when they rejoice, God's word tells us. And observing the Lord's Supper certainly does not make us any more saved. The purpose of the Lord's Supper, as the wafers passed, as the cup is passed, is a reminder of what Christ did on Calvary's cross. It's a memorial. It's a memorial. Know this, that the only thing that satisfies God's righteous requirement is the work of Christ on Calvary. Absolutely nothing you can do or say will cause God to be any more gracious or loving toward you than he already is, which is a perfect love, is a perfect graciousness toward you. Somebody once said, and it's true, that works never produce salvation. But salvation will always produce works. I want to make sure when we leave here, we understand that. Works will never produce salvation. But salvation, it will always produce works. Amen? So you say, okay, well, then what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have that perfect relationship with God? If I can't work for it, if I can't earn it, if, if I can't get it, obtain it by my efforts, what must I do to be saved? We've already answered that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith you trust that his work on Calvary's cross was payment in full for the debt of sin, that debt of sin that you, you owed. You believe that he was buried. You believe that he rose again. You believe Romans 4.25, that he was delivered for our transgressions. He was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. By faith, we believe that. I had somebody say, boy, that's just what we call easy believism. Or cheap grace. You ever heard it called cheap grace? That always causes the hair on the back of my neck to stand up when people call anything that God does cheap. Because basically, it's His grace. And they're calling, well, that's cheap grace. No, there was nothing cheap about what Christ did on Calvary's cross. Easy believism. So what are we going to do to add to God's grace? What, well, no, that's, oh, just, to, just believe, is that it? Well, that's, so, that's just too easy. Take that up with God, because that's His plan of salvation. Who, who receives the glory if you add a bunch of works to that salvation, then you are capable of patting yourself on the back, on your back. But when you come to the point and you recognize that what you must do to be saved is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, 
that your entire life changes, that God makes you a new creation, that God does the sanctifying, the regenerating, He does the justifying, He does the reconciling, He does it all because what you did is believed what His Son did on Calvary's cross is sufficient to pay the debt of sin you owed. There is absolutely nothing you could do to add to that perfect grace. That perfect work of Christ on Calvary. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of things we don't do here at our church that tradition, traditionally a lot of churches do in order to, I'm not really sure why they do it other than say, basically they're saying, God, you didn't quite get it finished. So let me add this to your work. I think that's an insult to God. That's an insult to God. There is nothing else required. Salvation was not easy. Salvation, our salvation, included a work. But Christ did the work. And what we do as we observe this is we do show the Lord's death until He comes. It's not because we want to make God happy with us. It's not because we want to come across as more spiritual. It doesn't do any of that. We do it because we are grateful. We do it because we are thankful. We do it because we love God and we love to be reminded of what took place on Calvary because it just demonstrates God's amazing love toward us. That He died on the cross and He can't add anything to it. Yes, we serve Him. We work for Him. We labor for Him. But it's not for our salvation. It's because of our salvation. And with grateful hearts, we come together to observe the Lord's Supper. We leave this building for the purpose of serving Him, witnessing for Him, working for Him. We can't add anything to the salvation that God offers certainly can't work for it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, that's the way God wants it. God doesn't want you doing a work in order to merit or earn that salvation. He wants you to understand it, that it is a gift Nothing is required in return, but by faith you believe. The world tells us you got to do something. You got to do something in order to merit that salvation. Well, you need to understand that's religion talking, okay? That's religion talking. That's mankind's way of saying, I don't trust God completely what religion is see religion is man trying to work his way up to God he knows God's high and lifted up 
He, he, he knows that God's here and he's here, but Lord, if, if there can just, just give me these rungs on this ladder and watch how fast I can climb that ladder to you. The issue is there are no rungs on that ladder. There's nothing. You, you, could, you could never climb that high. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. There is no way to do anything on your own to satisfy God's righteous requirements. God says, you can't do it here. Let me do it for you. See, he looked beyond our faults and he saw our need. Isn't that glorious? Look beyond our faults and he saw our need. And he met that need through Christ Jesus. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness that we've done, but by His mercy He saves us. Stop and think about that scripture. Not by works of righteousness. It's, the Holy Spirit made sure that Paul, when he was writing to Titus, that he didn't say not by works which we've done, but emphasized not by works of righteousness. It's not by things that we've done that are good, that are right. Works of righteousness, you, and works of righteousness are good, right? Works of righteousness are good. I encourage people to do works of righteousness. So does God's Word. But they're not going to save you. Not by works of righteousness which we've done. There's nothing you can do to climb that ladder, to ascend that ladder, to reach the righteousness of God. But according to His mercy, He saved us. Because see, it's because He knows that you could never do it. But that's why He says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, referring to Christ and also in Mark 3.22 in referring to Christ and a low voice from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased only in Christ is God the Father well pleased but oh is he well pleased with him and when you're in him when you are in him the Father is pleased. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. Starting with verse 17. As we observe the Lord's Supper, I want to remind you of a few things here. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Now, he's about to talk to them about the love feasts that were popular when the groups would come together. Peter talks about the love feast when believers would come together. Jude talks about love feasts when believers would come together. Uh, the church in Corinth, they sort of adopted that idea from the kingdom church folks. 
and they were having their love feast. But their love feasts were getting out of hand. See, they'd have the love feast, and then they would observe the Lord's Supper. Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come together, not for the better, but for the worst. Verse 18, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Paul was saying, hey, I believe this of some of you. Because he knows what kind of character some of these carnal Christians were there in Corinth. I partly believe it. Verse 19 is a very interesting verse. For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. It was necessary for there to be heresies among these groups. Remember this. At this stage, they didn't have the complete word of God. At this stage, they, they couldn't say, well, okay, turn to 1 Corinthians and, or, or turn to Ephesians or turn to Romans. They, they did not have the completed word of God that was in the process. So when they would come together, there were all sorts of heresies and, and teachings and things. That, that's why there were so many of the, the church fathers that people go, well, they believe this, and that was, that was kind of weird that they believed that. It's because there were heresies. And the Apostle Paul is telling the church, there has to be. There needs to be heresies. Why do there need to be heresies? So those that are approved of God, those who have been studying, those that, that are going to straighten this, what you believe out, they can stand and speak up. And during that early time, there were, there, they would they'd have the gift of prophecy, they had the gift of knowledge, and they had the gift of tongues. And when they would stand and straighten out those heresies, those three things would be incorporated into the service. That's what that's all about. There must also be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. And when you come together, therefore, unto one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And they were coming together to eat these love feasts. For in eating, everyone takes before of her his own supper. One is hungry and another is drunken. They, they would come together for these love feasts and it started out that you would share and you'd come together and, and the rich and the wealthy and the poor, they would come together. There was unity in the body of Christ. But as it, as it started cranking up, they would, the, the rich and those that fared, they would bring great amounts of food and they would eat it and the poor would just sit back in the back. And, and it was like, there was no unity. They were not sharing. And Paul is saying, that's wrong. That's wrong. And that's why the Lord's Supper is so important. It's one of the reasons when we do participate here in just about five minutes, that we, as we pass the bread, we have everyone wait until we are all served. And then we'll partake together. Then when the cup is passed out, passed around, we all wait. We pray and then we observe that together. Because that's demonstrating the unity of the Lord's Supper. Verse 22, Paul asks a question. What? 
Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Hey, these guys were in serious error in how they were observing these love feasts, what they were doing. It was demonstrating anything and everything else but the unity that God expects us to have in the body of Christ. Verse 23. See, they were really eating unworthily. And Paul's going to address that here in just a second. But they were eating and drinking unworthily. For I have received of the Lord that which I also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. And what we're doing by showing the Lord's death is praising him and loving him and being thankful to him for what he accomplished on Calvary's cross. Verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's what they were doing. They were coming together. And they weren't doing it for the right reason. It was causing divisiveness. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For if he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation, to himself not discerning the body. And for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. It's pretty serious. It was serious. Not that they were losing their salvation, but there were, they were doing things that were causing great harm to the body of Christ. This unworthily is referring back to them coming together and, and the rich were doing their thing and the poor were standing over in a corner. Not the, what, they, what they were doing was not demonstrating the unity of the body of Christ. And that's the purpose of observing the Lord's Supper, right? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and how thankful we are that you love us so much that you would go to this extreme measure in order to purchase our redemption. Father, we're thankful for that invitation for us to have a relationship with you. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, that not, a, not another second will go by without them realizing you love them and that you paid the debt they owed and by faith they trust you. I pray, Father, may the Holy Spirit just move on their heart. 
Father, may the convicting power of the Holy Spirit be so real that they understand that you love them and you desire to reconcile them to the God of all creation. Now, Father, as we observe this Lord's Supper, Father, may we ever be mindful of Christ's death, but Father, may we also remember what this symbolizes, the unity of the body of Christ. And Father, we pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.